Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a month-by-month look at the modern rock charts. I'm Will Westerkow, and we've made it to the end of 1992. Joining me for the season wrap-up is Orly. Welcome back, Orly. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I think last time you were on the show, we said, Song of Mystery, temporary name. Who's got a better name? Yes. And I had some people write in, and we got some suggestions. Okay. So I thought we might as well hear a few and see what we like. I had a suggestion, too. I know. It's on the list. It's on the list. Okay, good. Okay. So uh, the first suggestion we got was Heat Sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) Heat sneakers. I like heat sneakers. I think it's a reference to Heat Seekers, yes. which is a billboard chart for up-and-coming acts. Yes. Bands that haven't quite made the, yeah, the big like charts yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, we're being kind of sneaky here with a, a mysterious totally. song. Yeah. The second one we got sent uh, is The Mystery Achievement, which I believe is a reference to The Pretenders. Okay. And uh, I suppose the song's a mystery, and if you can guess what it is, that's an achievement. It's your achievement. Yeah. So I like this. Yes. And then we've got your suggestion, which, do you remember what it was? I do. Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) My suggestion was, who charted? (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Can you explain that one for us? You know, it's like when you hear a song and you're like, who's responsible for this song? (laughs) Did they (laughs) make it on the charts? Uh, But I actually feel like Heat Sneakers goes with who charted. Heat Sneakers is also sort of a fart reference. Is that what you're saying? It could be. So from now on, whenever like Silent But Deadly comes around, you're going to be like, Heat Sneakers. It's a Heat Sneaker. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to be using that one on the show from now on. I'm not going to use that name for the Song of Mystery, (laughs) but if I'm ever interviewing a guest and I smell something off... Heat sneakers. It's a heat sneaker. So wait, you're not going to use... No, I don't know. Which should we use? You're not going to use any of those. I like all three. Okay, well, I guess now if you really want to leave it up to the listeners, they can choose. Okay, well, let's do that then. We'll just keep calling it the Song of Mystery for now. And fans, listeners, you can write in, send me an email and uh, let us know which... Although I think we'd really like to know who charted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's, let's find out who charted for our Song of Mystery, a.k.a. Heat Sneakers, Mystery Achievement... Let's give it a listen. quite a mystery (laughs) called Sherlock. (laughs) All right, let me tell you why I played this song. First of all, we've been talking every episode about Nirvana and what a big impact Nirvana has had on the whole musical scene. Right. And yet we have not heard any Nirvana this year. I wonder what's up with a host just leaving Nirvana. Well, I mean, (laughs) it's not entirely my my fault. Um, It's the way they chart. They charted much, much lower and not as frequently as one would expect. So you would say that they charted. Nirvana charted. Nirvana <laughs> charted for sure. But this song did not chart. 
My mystery today is why did In Bloom not chart on the modern rock charts? That's weird because it was even, it was a single. There was a video for it. It was a single. There was a video. It charted on the mainstream rock charts. Okay. It's a mystery. Okay. That is a song of mystery. All right. Before we get into the songs we're going to listen to, of course, we got some other things to do. The first one is talk about statistics for 1992. We're going to start with the number ones, the songs that hit number one in 1992. 18 different songs reached number one, starting with U2's Mysterious Ways and ending with Peter Gabriel's Steam. We heard all of those songs through the course of the season. Yeah. The song that spent the most time at number one during 1992 was... Morrissey's Tomorrow. Mm. And how many weeks was that? Six weeks at the top spot. Okay. The number one spot also continues to be dominated by established acts. So if we look at each band that hit number one. Okay. And we see which album they released in 1992. Like which. Okay. Like, is it their seventh album? Mm -hmm. Is it their first album? The answer is it's their seventh album. Right. Yeah. (laughs) On average, the bands that hit number one had released their 6.4th album. Mm. In 1992. And if we count Lou Reed and Peter Gabriel's, respectively, Velvet Underground and Genesis Ah. career, that number goes up closer to seven. Okay. So, um, yeah, very established acts. Very established acts. The most prolific bands on the charts were U2 Mm -hmm. and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. Both of whom put four songs on the charts. Nice work, Peps. I mean, they had a huge album that they just kept releasing singles off of. Who, the Peps? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a few more stats, and then we're going to move on and hear some music. Okay. A couple big changes on the charts this year. Uh, Number one, the percentage of American bands went up drastically from 26% in 1991 to 48% in 1992. Yeah, it's a lot. That's crazy. And I would be willing to guess that Nirvana played a big role in that. For sure. The number two thing I want to bring up, the number of charting songs that had a woman as a lead singer more than doubled from 11% to 23%. Wow, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Good for Americans. Good for women. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. the charts got very white this year. Yeah. And I know some of you might be saying, well... Could it get whiter? (laughs) Yeah, like, aren't these charts very white to begin with? And yeah, the modern rock charts are very white. But in 1991, there were at least seven bands or artists with black singers. In 1992, there was one. Whoa. And that person was Bob Marley. Dang. That's pathetic. I mean, let's be clear. He was dead. Yeah, he was already dead. So a, a dead black man is the only black artist that... That charted. Yeah. On the modern rock charts. As a singer. There, of course, there's some band of members course, in various of bands. Of course, yes, but, as a singer. But um, not good modern rock charts. Somehow turning more American makes us more white. Hmm. Ouch. Hmm. Do you, we need to go there right now? <laughs> something to think about. Just, you know, something. All right. So uh, I think it's time to crown the winner of 1992. And last year, it was a little bit of a toss-up. This year... I'm going to say it's a clear winner. Okay. And the winner is U2. In addition to putting four songs on the charts, they hit number one twice. Okay. And they also broke the record for most weeks on the chart with a single song. That song was one. It charted for 23 weeks. Ooh. Beating out Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, What I Am, which spent 21 weeks on the charts. Love that song. 
You too. You did yeah. it. Nobody believed in you. No one thought yes, you could do it. Yes, yes. That's a but... small band from Dublin, <laughs> Ireland. They did it. <laughs> All right. It's time for a new game. Our, okay. Our favorite game. Name that cover song. Oh, boy. Which also needs a catchier title. If anyone <laughs> wants to come up with something better than name that cover song. But it's a game where I play a short clip of every cover song that charted during the year. And Orly and you podcast listeners try to name the song title the recording artist, and the original, the original artist. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We always pretend to keep score on this one, too. Exactly. We All pretend right. to get points, and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> So we're going to get five points for each correct response. Okay. And five bonus points if you get all three for a given song. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. The first song. I think I know most of this. Okay. That's Pixies. Correct. And they are covering Jesus and Mary Chain? Correct. What is the name of that song, though? I mean, can't get my head off the ground. You're going to go with head off? Is that what you're going with? I don't know. Head off the ground? I don't know. What is that song? (laughs) It's called Head On. Head On. Yeah. Pixies covering Head On by Jesus and Mary Chain, which was recorded originally in 1989. So, yeah, that's like right around the corner. Yeah, just barely out of diapers. It's funny because at first I was like, is this a Ramon song? I can see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 points, by the way, Orly. Nice job. I was so close. All right, let's go to the second one. Here we go. They sentenced me to 20 years of boredom Trying to change the system Okay, I don't know who originally sang that or the name of the song, but I do know that that is R.E.M. That was clearly R.E.M., correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that song is called First We Take Manhattan. Okay. Originally recorded by Leonard Cohen in 1988. Oh my gosh, almost. That's also right around the corner. Because I almost was like, okay, this is giving me a Bob Dylan vibe. But darker. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Dang it. Uh, yeah. I should have thought a little should longer. Just, yeah, exactly. And this is from a compilation album called I'm Your Fan. It's a tribute to Leonard Cohen that came out in 1992. Got it. Uh, which, by the way, not available on Spotify. It's uh, one of those out of print thingamajigs. So you're all welcome for uh, wow. playing some of these long lost songs. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and hear the third one. You got five points for that one, Orly. I mean, I don't know the original or the name of the song. So you say goodbye. I have no idea. This song is called Hey, That's No Way to Say Goodbye. Okay. That was Ian McCullough from Echo and the Bunnymen, one of his three charting songs for the year. I'm just going to be honest. I did not know that guy's name. Okay. So you could have said like Echo and the Bunnymen guy. That would have been okay. I, would I don't know if I would have even gotten that far, but I do like his voice and it was very familiar. Mm-hmm. Now, so. would you say that song had kind of like a dark Bob Dylan feel to it? Was that. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It was like a cross between the last two songs. <laughs> yeah, that was also Leonard Cohen. This Le- Leonard Cohen song from oh, this is all Leonard Cohen covers because you just same... said it came out in 1992. Well, the tribute album came out in 1992. Yeah, no, I know, but like these are covers that came out in 1992. So are these all going to be Leonard Cohen covers? You're asking if like half of these are all yeah. Leonard Cohen. 
covers. Uh, could be. Great. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find Great. out. Yeah. <laughs> Hedge your bets. Just guess Leonard Cohen from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to mention a couple things about that tribute album, though. One thing of note is that John Cale is on there singing Hallelujah, and his version is the version that Jeff Buckley covers when he does his famous version of Hallelujah, the most well-known version of the song. Right. So what are you saying? He didn't know the Leonard Cohen version? I'm not sure. But the Leonard Cohen version, the original version, is very different. The cover version on this tribute is very, very similar to what Mm, Jeff Buckley later did. It's on piano instead of guitar, but the notes he's playing is pretty much what Jeff Buckley plays. Jeff Buckley is clearly doing John Cale's version of the Leonard Cohen song. It's like how when I karaoke Sonic Reducer, I'm doing the Pearl Jam. It's exactly like that, yes. (laughs) And people were wondering, like, is she, that's not not the the Dead dead Boys. boys, No, (laughs) clearly... <laughs> she's, really... she's channeling Daddy Vetter over there. <laughs> exactly. Okay, let's keep going. You got two points for that. I think that brings you up to 17 points. Uh, really song, killing it. Song number four. This is Only Love Can Break Your Heart. Yes, five points. By somebody that I probably oh, know. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, by somebody you know, yes. It's somebody correct. I know, but I can't remember. Uh, only love can <laughs> break your heart. That's how it goes. Say right? a little higher and more nasally. But only love can break your heart. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's spot on. You didn't even know who you were doing. Okay. Um, I don't know who this lady was. Okay. The band that we just listened to, that was Saint Etienne with their only charting song. Okay. And that's originally by Neil Young. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Five more points for you. Time for you to start catching up. I definitely did know that that was Neil Young. You sure did. Yeah, Yeah, I did. now one more time, let's hear that as Neil Young. But only love. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, we got three more. Here we go. <laughs> Song number five. Making plans for Nigel. That is making plans for Nigel. Yes. Is that Oingo Boinkos? That's not a bad guess. It's XTC. Okay. So no. <laughs> <laughs> Half of a point for throwing a board. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. I heard the bass come in, and my very first thought was, is this Primus? It's Primus. No. No, it's Primus. Yeah. 10 points for you. Nice work. But it doesn't really sound like Les Claypool. But the, the my very first thought was, that bass sounds like Primus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were channeling. The, the original song, Pretty Hard, just okay. terrible. I mean, I've heard that song, but I guess I didn't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now you know. Yeah. Here we go. Song number six. Laugh about it, shout about it, when you got the shoes. Every way you look at it, you lose. Where have you gone, Joe, the This is the Lemonheads. Yep covering mrs robinson correct 
by Simon and Garfunkel. Ding, ding, ding. You did it. 20 Ooh. points for you on that one. Nice work. I just saw the Lemonheads. Yeah. Like, I don't know, a week or two ago. Yeah. Uh, with my friend Matt, who I had mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Lemonheads on that episode. He'd never really listened to them. And then he reached out to me. He was like, Will, you want to go see the Lemonheads? They're coming to town. And I was like, let's do it. It was uh, It's a Shame About Ray tour. They played the entire album. Awesome. And then what they do for the other hour? <laughs> well, there are a lot of cover songs <laughs> and there was a very strange behavior and that he invited someone who I haven't, I still haven't figured out who it was, but he invited someone else up onto the stage to sing while Evan played drums and tried to figure out the guitar parts. All right. Very unusual. And, and that was like, I'm really glad I came out for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the worst thing was, is that uh, Evan Dando's voice was utterly shot i mean at first i thought it was permanent and i was really sad and also kind of wanting you know my money back Ooh. <laughs> but um i looked up some other concerts that happened you know a few weeks earlier and the reviews all said he sounded great so i'm gonna assume that evan can still sing and he just was getting over a cold or something like that so yeah, just bad luck for us yeah but i still had fun i gotta hear yeah. gotta hear a lot of songs i love it's an experience yeah. All right, we got one more. And I spend all my evenings all alone. Success has made a failure of our home. Okay, well, that's a Leonard Cohen song. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, you wish. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> good guess, good guess. <laughs> Success has made a failure of our home. Nice. That is what the song is called. Okay, good, good. That's the only points I'm getting. (laughs) Really? I, you know, I think the vocals were not super obvious, but occasionally there was like a little vocal catch. Like a, so go with your gut. Is it Sinead O'Connor? It's Sinead O'Connor. Okay. Yeah, nice work. Um, (laughs) I should always guess. 10 points for you there. The original version was called Success, not Success has made a failure of our home. Sinead O'Connor changed the title. Uh Uh-huh. it was first recorded by Loretta Lynn in 1962. Yeah, I would not have come up with that. All right. Well, that was it. Yeah. How'd you do? do, 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 do. Oh, I, like 50 did, points. Do you know what? I'm I'm happy with what I did. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good showing considering. Those there's some tough songs in there. Especially going with my gut on those last two, like artists I know, mm-hmm. but don't sound like themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, if you would have guessed Leonard Cohen... Uh, earlier oh well, yeah. who are we gonna put two leonard cohen songs on there yeah but you know what's crazy if you remember last season there was another leonard cohen cover it was concrete blonde so he's a great person to cover because he doesn't have a great voice so like he writes great songs same thing with bob dylan so you're not like oh you could never it's not like you're trying to sing dream on i mean i'm not no one's gonna freak out oh my god how can you say that about leonard cohen i'm just saying like as far as voices go he's not no, like i get it dropping us to the ground or anything speaking ill of the dead orly i'm not i'm not (laughs) i mean when talking about the dead you should use the sandwich method (laughs) you you got the you got the bread you got the um he writes great songs great lyrics and then you you know put some doesn't sing very good but you need to finish it off with another um positive bread slice my bread slice was that he writes good songs and the double part is it's like good melody and fantastic lyrics okay i see i got you the two parts to that i'll take that yeah Let's move into the meat of the episode, so to speak. Yeah. We're going to talk about four bands. These are bands that charted earlier in the year, and we just didn't get a chance to mention them for whatever reason, so we're going to talk about them here. Yes. The first band we're going to talk about is Tom Tom Club. 
I want to say that Tom Tom Club are mostly remembered as a Talking Heads side project of married couple Tina Weymouth and Chris France. Mm. But they're actually mostly remembered for this. The sample. That's a sample. That was Mariah Carey's mega super ultra hit fantasy heck yeah which sampled the heck out of tom tom club's genius of love and that song sold bazillions of copies more than uh, any talking head song or tom tom club song uh, that was ever written i hope they saw some money for that i hope they did i think they did tina weymouth and chris france both have songwriting credits on oh, okay on fantasy yeah for sure then yeah that's good they're like wow a lifetime's worth of career but we made more money on songwriting credits for, on one Mariah Carey song. Yeah, you know what happens? It's kind of <laughs> sad. I mean, it's awesome that they get the money for it, but like... I know what you mean. Just the comparison is such a bummer. Right. All right. By 1992, the Talking Heads were Splitsville. Tom Tom Club had released their fourth album, which is called Dark Sneak Love Action. Dark Sneak Love Action. I don't know. It's not a good title. I'm not. I'm it's not, not a good title. You know what it looks like? It looks like uh, when you walk by the refrigerator magnets and rearrange some words. You know those like. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, the poetry. poetry. Yeah, manga poetry. Yeah. Anyway, two singles were released from this album, including a cover of Hot Chocolates, "You Sexy Thing." You sexy thing. Uh, but we're gonna hear their final modern rock charting song, which is called "Sunshine and Ecstasy." It hit number 15 in July Can you feel it? I think you know where I'm going to go with this. You loved it. <laughs> My initial thought was, oh, I think I've heard this. Then I realized I didn't hear all of it. And I think I probably heard it in some sort of like dance club as a mashup. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't hear the whole thing. And I'm pretty glad they left off that dorky rap. <laughs> that thing. Oof. No. So. What? Chris France is the best rapper in the Talking Heads. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it was so like square, like so white and nerdy that it does make me go, is this a joke? Mm -hmm. That guy is such an enunciator. What did he say? Something about pull on my heartstring. Come on, party people. And I'm like, ooh, no. <laughs> Enunciation is out. Enunciate. I mean, not during your rap. My favorite part of the song, yeah. which I actually like. It gave me a little bit of excitement to mm -hmm. hear is the just that one guitar part when she's like, feel my heartbeat. <laughs> well, it's not. Because it's, it's the kinks. Really, yeah, I mean, no. Yeah. Oh, it's the kinks, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's a sample, but it's clearly, if it's not a sample, it's inspired by. Yeah. So as soon top, as I realized, yeah. I was like, oh, I like that. Da -na 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 -na. Oh, I like that because it's the <laughs> kinks. Because we like, we like, you really got me. 
And then I realized the sound on it, though, what else? What I liked about it initially was not only just the guitar, but the effect, mm-hmm. which is very like early Nine Inch Nails guitar. Oh. So, like, I just kept waiting for that part to come to go, like, I just want to enjoy like a little nibble of this. <laughs> yeah. And it said you got Chris France rapping. I was like, I was like, is this going to happen again? Because it seems like he wants to do it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I sort of feel the same way you do. But I I really love the fact that Tom Top Club sounds so, as you put it, white and nerdy. <laughs> and yet, like, they had big club hits. Yeah, it and sounds like, like club music. Genius of Love has been sampled by all kinds of yeah. rappers and R&B artists. And it just cracks me up that this band went to the Bahamas. They got really inspired by the music over there. They came yeah. back. They loved this music and made like their really kind of square New York white people yes. versions. And then black people loved the music that they made and wanted to sample that it's and use cool. it for their music. Yeah, 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 this, yeah. I, I think that's, that's I think great. that's cool too, yeah. I'm still getting like a pretty talking heads vibe. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And I liked that. That was one of the things I liked about it. This was just like straight up dance music to me. Feel my heartbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're giving it way too metal. It's too metal. I was, oh, I was doing the Van Halen version. So Girl! <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I should also mention that in 1992, the year we're talking about, France and Weymouth also produced the album Yes Please for the Happy Mondays. And this was their follow-up to their very important, very influential pills, thrills, and belly aches. Um, but apparently people hate Yes, Please. Mm. Like, they despise it. I've never heard this album. I don't know if it's the fault of the production or if it's the fault of the band, but um, people do not like it. Oh, okay. I guess I'm going to end with this. And uh, as far as I know, Chris France, Tina Weymouth are still married. And uh, I think that's cool. But, you know, probably sleep in separate bedrooms and... Own their own homes. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course they own their own homes. Just... They have three homes each. <laughs> Separate residence. That's, that's what you call the fantasy money right there. <laughs> I mean, what married couple does not want to own their own home? Ugh, Come on. amazing. <clears throat> this is specifically separate from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Second one we're going to hear from is a band you definitely know. And this is the Beastie Boys. This is the first time we've talked about them on the show. These are three Jewish dudes from New York City, MCA, Ad-Rock, and Mike D. And they became one of the most successful rap groups of all time. Yeah. They started out as a hardcore punk band, but by 1984, they had moved into more of a hip-hop direction. And in 1986, they released their debut album, License to Ill. This was the first rap album to hit number one in the U.S., and has sold over 10 million copies at this point. And 11 years after that album came out, my friends and I were rocking it in the car on tape like it was brand spanking new. <laughs> so into it. Uh, I'll tell you my first introduction to the Beastie Boys. I think I was in first grade. 
And we had a fight for your right to party. Well, uh, a friend had been singing Fight for Your Right to Party at school. And I never actually heard the real version of the song. I just heard my friend's version they were singing, and I thought it was cool. I didn't have much exposure to music. So, like, any <laughs> any little snippet of a song that I could, like, get my ears on, I was all over it. Mm-hmm. So I went home, and I started singing, You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party. This is me as, you know, like, what, a seven-year-old? Yeah. And my mom got very upset with me and she's like will that's not appropriate to fight for your right to party and i <laughs> and I, I just remember thinking like does party mean something different to her than it does to me like i'm picturing clearly picturing like a birthday party right. or something and i'm like you're like balloons and streamers <laughs> are not appropriate like, yeah like this seems like it's worth fighting for yeah i would but, fight um, for that cake to come out she was upset and i i was chagrined Ah, oh, yeah. sorry. And I didn't come back to the Beastie Boys for a couple decades after that. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, they're a little slow with the releases. It took them three years for a follow-up album, and that was the sample-heavy Paul's Boutique. It didn't sell very well, especially compared to the previous album. Well, it was so different. Um, yes, but it was also critically acclaimed and highly influential. Yeah. Three years later... They came out with their third release. This was Check Your Head in 1992. And with this album, the Beastie Boys decided to switch things up again by playing their own instruments. Although they sure as hell sound like samples to me. So I think what they did is they played their own instruments and then sampled their own playing. Ah, okay. Yeah. So we are going to listen to a track called So What You Want. I love this one. And it reached number 22 on the modern rock charts in August of Two Adams and a Mike. Yeah, that was their original band name, but... It's not as good, I guess, as the Beastie. Yeah, the Beastie Boys. So, I mean, I just gotta say, those are white boys from New York rapping also. Mm, That's true. You're right. It's very different from the last white boy from New York. Chris France, take a tip. (laughs) More cursing, less enunciating. (laughs) (laughs) Their first album, it's got so many, like, big hooks and catchy stuff going on. This album, not really like that. Yeah. And this song, it hits hard. Like, it feels really brutal and intense. It does. Not particularly, like, hooky. Nope. And also the lyrics, not just on this song, but on the whole album. I think they're just, in general, less fun, less silly, less funny than they were on, For sure. on the first album. Yeah, they were like, we're serious musicians now. Yeah. Here they're sounding tough. Yeah. But it sounds to me like they released this in, I don't know, April of 92. It sounds to me like Rage Against the Machine picked up this album and they're like, what? Let's go in the studio. Time to record, (laughs) you know, Killing in the Name of or whatever. That's the vibe I get. Okay. Yeah. It seems like they're maturing and they do want to be taken seriously. I I mean, I lo- obviously I I loved License to Ill. That's the Beastie Boys album I listen to the most by far. Also, I don't think it will come as any surprise where I was when I first heard 
so what you want. Beavis and Butthead? Yeah. Beavis and Butthead. I was not cool enough to know about this, you know, when it came out when I was 12. But when I was 13, I was cool enough to watch MTV yeah. when we got it. And I was cool enough to watch Beavis and Butthead. And they loved this. I, I was going to guess. Yeah. They went nuts for this. And I remember specifically when he's like, Gardenia. <laughs> Gardenia. <laughs> yeah. Which I looked up. is It's a uh, town in California with a high concentration of uh, Japanese Americans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever heard that song without the video until now. Okay. And it just, yeah, it just seemed cool. Like uh, that's, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, I yeah. think. And it doesn't seem pretentiously cool to me. It just seems like these guys, they figured it out. They put a sound together and a vibe together that's like, yeah, well, people want to emulate this. Yeah. I do want to mention that Ad-Rock eventually married Bikini Kill singer Kathleen Hanna, yes. which is amazing because if you think about the politics of Bikini Kill and the politics yes. of early Beastie Boys, it seems like these are two people that would butt heads Very and, and hate each other. But um, the Beastie Boys are notable for really reforming their ideas about women and their ideas about a lot of things, really. It was never clear to me how much of the first album was them joking around and how much was serious. It, to me, felt very tongue-in-cheek, even as a kid, but I don't know. Right. But at some point, they decided, like, mm, maybe that's not cool, the way we're talking about women. And You mean girls? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were pretty outspoken about uh, reforming and changing their ways. And um, at some point, they started rapping about things like making a positive change in the world. <laughs> well, you know what? People mature. Yeah, that's good. Let's make room for that, yeah. for growth. Yeah. And I should also mention MCA, a.k.a. Nathaniel Hornblower. Nathaniel Hornblower? Nathaniel Hornblower? You didn't know his alias? I guess not. I knew it, I knew it was Adam Yalk. Yes, that's also his name. <laughs> uh, if you watch some of the Beastie Boys videos, they will say directed by Nathaniel Hornblower. That is MCA oh. in disguise. He played bass on this album, and unfortunately, he died of cancer in 2012, yeah. at which point the Beastie Boys broke up. Yeah, that makes sense. I had the privilege of seeing them in 1994 when they were headlining Lollapalooza mm -hmm. and in 1995 when they had a fake name that they went under and I saw them in a skate park oh, like an more. indoor skate park and I only knew about this because like my friend's brother's friends were skaters and they somehow got intel on this what was their their was it two atoms and a mic no I wish it was it was Quasar Quasar. They were under the band Quasar. And Ooh, I think my ticket even says Quasar. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, the Beastie Boys are going to chart plenty of more times after this. But because they are kind of slow with the releases, we're only going to get to hear from them one more time in the future before I stop doing the show due to the charts being terrible. Oh, come on. Keep doing the terrible charts. Dig. <laughs> Dig in the dirt. What if uh, once we get past 95, we just do like a two-episode season for each year? There you go. Just distill it. There like, you go. Okay, I can find eight songs that were good. You could find eight songs. Okay, may I, I'll, I'll consider it. In the meantime, let's move on. we got two more songs we're going to hear from. This next band is called Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, sometimes referred to as Carter USM or just Carter. 
Carter doesn't sound like an unstoppable sex machine. No, sounds like a pretty stoppable sex machine, really. Carter sounds like a guy that's like working at the bookstore. And, uh, yeah, Carter the incel. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's Carver. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. On that note, uh, Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine is led by Jim Morrison. I kid you not. Although he generally goes by Jim Bob. Because <laughs> if, if my name was Jim Morrison, I would definitely go by Jim Bob instead. Wait, okay. Another aside, like how I had the hugest, painful, gut-wrenching crush on a boy named James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was he going to do? Should I name my kid Michael Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Or Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's Jim Bob. And then we've also got Les Carter, a.k.a. Fruit Bat. Those, oh, my gosh. Those are the Jim Bob and Fruit Bat. <laughs> These are the, the two leaders of the band. Uh, they formed this band in 1987 in London. This is often considered a Grebo band. Generally, it's... Fun, energetic, programmed beats, big crunchy guitars. This band is known for a lot of clever wordplay and puns and cultural references, but sung with a strong South London accent. Yes. Prior to Carter, USM, Jim Bob was in a band called Jamie Wednesday. Mm. But by 1992, Carter, USM was releasing an album called 1992, The Love Album. All right, it's a love album, E92. <laughs> it hit number one in the UK, believe it or not, and spawned three singles. A fourth single, After the Watershed, was left off of the album because the band got sued by the Rolling Stones for using the refrain, Goodbye Ruby Tuesday. Well, that's right up there. Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be like a, a theme on the show, band gets sued by Rolling Stones. I was just going to say, aren't they super litigious? <laughs> Uh, their lawyers are anyway, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find a list of bands that have been sued by the Rolling Stones, but when I search that up, all I get the verve. is the verve. Yeah. yeah. I hope to talk about that someday. That's a, a real fun story. Oh, that's 1997, verve. I think. Oh, yeah. Good okay. luck. All right, yeah. It'll be one of my two episodes for the year. <laughs> We're going to hear a song called The Only Living Boy in New Cross, which reached number 26 in August of 92. The song title is a play on a Simon and Garfunkel song called The Only Living Boy in New York. Okay. And New Cross is uh, a region in South London. Okay. Here we go. I like that one. I like that one too. Yeah, that one's really fun. There's a lot of fun, witty lyrics to yeah. think about. And, uh, you know, I'm one over by the accent. Honestly, For sure. like if, if you just take another Grebo band, like 
Jesus Jones, for instance, and put him next to Carter. Like even music aside, I'm just going to go with Carter because I like his accent. It reminds me of like the early punk bands. Yes. You, know, you don't hear this type of accent in pop music very often. Yes. I feel that connection. Yeah. And I like that the, you know, the vocals, they weren't buried. So you could, you know, that you could hear what he was saying. And he sounds like he's having a good time. It's really energetic. Mm-hmm. He also kind of rapped. He did, but it it just kind of just seemed like fast-paced singing, though. Yeah, he was like rattling off a list of Britishy things that don't mean anything to me. I guess I could look him up. He said the Grebos and the Crusties. Yeah, the Grebos, Crusties, and Goths. Yeah. I, I got two of those. So like crusty punks? I would guess so. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh-huh. But I like the, the Grebo shout out. But, you know, Butchered Bakers, Deaf and Dumb Waiters, Marble Arch Criminals, and Claws 28ers. What is he thinking about? I don't know. I don't know. It's just like fun British slang. Yeah. It's like um, when you listen to We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> it's like that, but with like British slang that, yeah. we, that we can't understand. I don't know. I'm into it. Yeah. yeah it was, um, I liked the build and when it came in, it was exciting. I will say this, mm-hmm. and maybe only because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay. But I thought with a few tweaks... Especially to the lyrics, mm-hmm. you could turn this into a, like a pretty badass Christmas song. You know, like how in Love Actually, they bring back the old British dude and they're like, turn this song into a Christmas song. Mm-hmm. I feel it in my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it in my toes. Toes, Christmas is all around yeah. us. And so I feel like, yeah, if you could do this song. Some sleigh bells. As it is, pretty much, change a few lyrics, just a few, uh-huh. add a few sleigh bells, you get a classic Christmas He's song. right back to the top of the charts. Absolutely. I think I think you're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, his previous band, Jamie Wednesday, they didn't release very much music, only a couple singles, but one of those singles was called We Three Kings of Orient Aren't. Nice. <laughs> See, I knew I was feeling the Christmas this spirit. This guy loves Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> or hates have, it. We just have to feed him that idea. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the only living boy in... Christmas Town. <laughs> <laughs> the only living elf in New Crops. <laughs> Do you like that? Sure. Okay. Carter, USM folded in 1998, uh, although there's been some reunion concerts in the 2000s or whatever, but it's not really an active band. So, Jim Bob, Fruit Bat, if you're out there listening, think about it. Christmas hit. I, I want, I'm here for it. I want some more Carter. <laughs> yeah, this was fun. that this was, was fun. fun. It was fun. I like this album enough that I'm willing to check out some more of their music. Yeah, so. that's, what I'm, that's what I was thinking is like, usually a band or someone who is got it together enough to write a song that's that good has more in them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And not just like, this is the greatest song I've ever heard, but more like... You clearly got a thing here. Yeah. And I, yeah. They keep it up for the, for the album. It's a solid yeah, album. Yeah, that's yep. cool. That's cool. Um, all right, we're going to jump over. We're going to hear one more band. And this band is called Kitchens of Distinction. This <laughs> is another good band name. Kitchens of Distinction. We can call them K-O-D if we want to be a little shorter. Uh-huh. That's what the real fans call them. Oh. The, the Kitchenettes. They're forming South London also Ooh. in 1986, although don't expect the same accent. Okay. They were named after a kitchen and decor company whose ad uh, one of the band members spotted on the side of a bus going by. And they're like, what do you think? What do you think? It's a bloody winner. <laughs> this band was led by singer-bassist Patrick Fitzgerald, who apparently 
put his career as a medical doctor on hold to be in this band. He made a mistake of distinction. (laughs) I've never heard this band, so I'll be the judge of that in five minutes. Okay. Well, the band has a sound that often gets labeled as shoegaze. (laughs) But what makes this band really stand out for me are Fitzgerald's lyrics. This is what I think is a groundbreaking band that does not get the credit it deserves. Because Patrick Fitzgerald was openly gay at a time where this was fairly unusual. Okay. But more unusual are that his lyrics deal openly with homosexual relationships and concerns. He uses he pronouns more often than not when he's talking about some love interest. Oh, cool. And there are songs about, for example, the emotional fallout of being beaten for being gay. There's a song that Fitzgerald described as an AIDS death song. There's songs about going to clubs and, you know, cruising for dudes. Uh Like, whatever it is, the whole range from, like, lust and sex to love and relationships to the abuse that society's heaping on them. The whole thing. And it's there in the lyrics. It's shoegaze music, so you have to listen to the lyrics. It's not going to jump out Mm -hmm. at you immediately. But... I can't think of any bands that were doing this. I mean, there were other artists I can think of who were out at the time in 1992. Sure. But generally, their songs were not lyrically... Like lyrically out. Yes, correct. So in 1992, KOD released their third album. It's called Death of Cool. This is a tribute to Miles Davis, who had recently died and who had released his landmark album Birth of Cool in 1950. And we're going to hear a song called Four Men, which hit number 28 in August 1992. Okay. Here it is. enjoyed that yeah i think less shoegaze than advertised for sure yeah for sure i mean there's swirling guitar sounds in there but yeah but like it's nice i'm glad you told me like the lyrics are important i really paid attention to the lyrics and actually he's very clear Mm -hmm. and i think that it's a huge part of enjoying that song honestly yeah the lyrics are so vulnerable it's very vulnerable and you know there's aspects of it that i can't relate to but the emotion I can. Absolutely. That's that's the important part. Yeah. And even if you can't relate to being queer, there's still sometimes a feeling of like, is this right? About anything, especially if you were raised religiously Mm -hmm. or anything. And just like you go like, and what I'm feeling or thinking, is this okay? Am I normal? Sure. Yeah. And I feel like most people can relate to that at some point, you know? So it's nice to have that emotional connection with someone. He sounds like he's very authentic Mm -hmm. the way he's singing it's very genuine which i really liked and i thought musically like it was totally enjoyable yeah so i've listened to this album quite a few times and i will say if you're willing to dive into the lyrics i think there's a lot there for you especially if the lyrical content connects with you personally and it sounds almost modern Mm -hmm. like i feel like bands now are doing this yeah 
like maybe they were ahead of their time here or maybe like everything's been done already. But I feel like a lot of like modern rock bands now are like, this is kind of what I wish I was doing. Although what did I write? It sounds like it's modern, except it's a little too exciting. Okay. <laughs> I've heard that there's new bands that make music, but I haven't listened to them. Can you tell me more about this this new band phenomenon? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard it too much, but some, you know, sometimes you put the radio on and you're like, what's new in modern rock? And you're like, is this an oldie station? I don't yeah, know anymore. Yeah. All right. So I got one fun fact here about Kitchens of Distinction. I read that sometimes they performed secret gigs under the alter ego Toilets of Destruction. Oh my God. Where they would often play ABBA, David Bowie, and Bauhaus covers. Why not? <laughs> that sounds awesome. I want to go to a Toilets of Destruction concert. Seriously. Well, that was our four bands. Thank you so much, Orly, for joining me once again. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast as always. Listeners, thank you all for listening. Hey, Orly. What should listeners do if they want to keep hearing more? If listeners want to keep hearing more of This Is Modern Rock, which Will works really hard on, please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. That is the easiest way to support this show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And another great way you can support the show is to write me an email because I love hearing from listeners. You can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Just for fun, rather than sending us out with the theme music, I'm going to send us out with one bonus track. And we're going to be hearing one last time from the Pixies. Is their final? This is it. This was not actually a single. Their last single they released before breaking up in 93 was Head On, which we heard. But this one was released as an album track after Trump Lamond, after the Pixies' final album before the breakup. And it is a Leonard Cohen cover. Yes. It's called I Can't Forget. I feel like Trump Lamond was sort of a Frank Black solo show in a lot of ways. Kim Deal was kind of shoved aside, especially vocally. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't hear a lot of Kim. And so I think it's really nice to let the Pixies go out on this note where we can hear both some of them. Kim yeah. And uh, we got all, all the Pixies working together. They sound happy for a moment before it all splits apart. Mm-hmm. So here, here it is the Pixies with Leonard Cohen's I Can't Forget. I said this can't be me, must be my double.